0: Hello there, it is Eric Erickson. I am so glad to be back with you guys. I've missed y'all. Happy New Year to you. The phone number. Oh, by the way, yes, yes. There are twelve days of Christmas. We're still in the season, so Merry Christmas. My lights are they down? No, of course not, because it's still Christmas. Yours should be up too. We got a couple more days here. Shut up, Philip. <laughs> phone number. If you would like, to be a part of the program. Eight seven seven nine seven 973 eight, seven, seven, nine, seven, three, seven, four, two, five. Glad to have you with me today. Uh, I, we got to talk about Ron DeSantis and it just bear with me. If you're on the phones, I want to get to you guys on the phones of this segment, but I got to talk about Ron DeSantis first. They are coming for Ron DeSantis. They are out to get this man. My gosh. Um, There is a coordinated effort. Now, who are they? They are the Democrats and their friends in the media. They want to end Ron DeSantis. Now, if you're a short-term thinker, you're looking at the schedule and you're thinking, huh, they want to end him because he's running for governor this year. That has nothing to do with it. Uh, Ron DeSantis is the Republican front-runner for 2024 minus Trump. And I'm still, I'll believe it when I see it on on him running. The media is doing their darndest to destroy Ron DeSantis on behalf of the Democrats. Notice how there is a massive surge in the virus in New England right now and in the the upper mid-Atlantic states. In New York right now, uh, they are overwhelmed with the virus. In Michigan, they are overwhelmed with the virus they never had their delta surge and now they're getting delta and omicron together in new york new jersey and connecticut and you don't hear a lot of media coverage about that uh, they're still fixated on florida a state that has gone back to life over the last couple of days ron desantis fell off the campaign schedule fell off the gubernatorial schedule he was taking meetings his daily public schedule was being published but he wasn't doing events. A lot of phone calls. One of the Democratic candidates against him, along with uh, the Democratic Party as a whole, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and members of the media, were all, where's DeSantis? Why can't he do his job? Is, does he have COVID? What's going on with him? Where is he? Why isn't he out there? Why isn't he on the job? Ron DeSantis' wife was diagnosed with cancer. DeSantis has been with his wife getting her cancer treatments. Now, full disclosure, I take this one personally. My wife, if you're a long-term listener, you know my wife has cancer. She has lung cancer. She goes every three months to Emory University for scans. Uh, Her cancer, there's not a cure for it, but she takes an oral chemo every day that keeps the cancer tumors from growing uh, the, the pill is supposed to work for two years. She's been on it for five. It's still working, but she goes every three months for scans. And that, that is our metronomic regular routine in life these days. And until COVID hit, I could go with her and I would take off work and I would go with her. And I can't. I am uh, the, the hospital policy is only the patient. I can't go. And I really want to be there. I really want to be there. And I can't. They won't let me. And I just appreciate that Ron DeSantis is able to be with his wife. And I think it is a nasty, awful, terrible thing that Democrats would attack Ron DeSantis for being not on the public publicity tour, but being with his wife. Now, the response from the Democrats is, well, you can't believe Ron DeSantis. How do we know? It it is Been documented and confirmed now he was with his wife for her cancer treatment. And still, they're like, well, they could have forced it. He could have rigged it. Here's what's going on here. DeSantis is a successful governor. You have a... right-wing renaissance of people moving to Florida. I know tons of conservatives who moved to Florida. Nashville is becoming the Hollywood of the conservative movement, and otherwise, you're moving to Florida. A lot of talk radio show hosts have moved to Florida. A lot of news personalities have moved to Florida, in the Palm Beach area, not just because of Donald Trump and mar but in large part because of Ron DeSantis uh, reopening Florida the way he had. Now, never mind Georgia reopened before Florida. DeSantis is an, in the media. Nobody thinks Brian Kemp is running for president. Everybody presumes Ron DeSantis is. But to get to 2024, Ron DeSantis has to get through 2022. He won uh, the governor's race in Florida. It was a very close race. Andrew Gillum was his opponent. I think it was the mayor of Tallahassee. Uh, Had a complete meltdown afterwards. Uh, Wound up um, hooking up with dudes doing drugs at a hotel. He's married to a woman. Um, uh, Andrew Gillum is, but there was a strain of white guilt in the media about Andrew Gillum. You see, when DeSantis ran the first time in 2018, he was running against Andrew Gillum, a black man. Brian Kemp in Georgia was running against Stacey Abrams, a black woman. And the American press corps, the political press corps, was obsessed with the quote-unquote Kennedy-esque good looks of one Beto O'Rourke, who was running against Ted Cruz for the United States Senate. Beto O'Rourke got the Vanity Fair profiles, the New Yorker profiles, the New York Times profiles, the hagiographic treatment on MSNBC, the National Press Corps going to Texas. Can he, will he, won't he please beat Ted Cruz? And Beto O'Rourke, as a result, got a massive pile of fundraising from progressives around the country, driven in large part due to the media hype. And he failed to beat Ted Cruz, came close, but failed. I remember the night of the election, people in Cruz's campaign were in panic mode for a little while, but Better O'Rourke failed. Meanwhile, Andrew Gillum came closer than even Abrams. And the media never focused on Andrew Gillum, never talked about Andrew Gillum. The black man in Florida, they focused on the white guy in Texas. And so there was a bit of white guilt. And so some of the negative coverage about DeSantis comes as these members of the national political press at MSNBC and the like attempt to absolve themselves of their sins of not covering and giving Andrew Gillum his due. Maybe the man would not have turned into a meth head having gay sex in a hotel in in Florida had the media actually helped him across the finish line, but they didn't. And his life went down the drain afterwards, and so the media feels bad. And they've got to do something to make up for it, just like with Stacey Abrams. They could give fawning coverage to Stacey Abrams and give her a pass on denying uh, her loss and and refusing to concede the election. they got to give her a pass. She's a black female progressive. They must help her do what they can to help her. It's very much what's happened with the, the situation in Florida. But there's more to it than just Andrew Gillum. Yes, there's white guilt among the press corps. But there's also 2024. And to get there, Ron DeSantis has to get through 2022. He's up for re-election. And the Democrats have thus far... Forwarded two nut job candidates, Nikki Freed, the ag commissioner, who had some sort of meltdown histrionic situation with her boyfriend a while back, and then Charlie Chris, the former uh, Republican governor turned Oompa Loompa, who has moved to Washington, D.C. as a member of Congress as a Democrat. Neither of these are credible candidates, and the Democrats all know it. In fact, the Democrats are starting to look at Georgia as more of a swing state than Florida. They think Florida's largely lost to them. The Democratic Florida, uh, the Democratic Party in Florida was on the verge of bankruptcy, destitute, uh, everybody at each other's throats. They got the former mayor of Miami to become the chairman of the Democratic Party in Florida. To his credit, he has tried to put Humpty Dumpty back together, and though he can't, he's done better than anyone else. He's found some level of party unity. But the Democrats are in disarray in Florida. So the media has had to step in. And they are obsessed with going after Ron DeSantis. They are obsessed with Florida's handling of the virus. They are obsessed with what Florida has and has not done about the virus. They have, oh, what was the woman's name? Now I can't remember her name. She was the uh, she was the technical coordinator for the Department of Public Health. She claimed to be some level of, of expertise and, and said that DeSantis was covering up COVID. He wasn't and she was a nut job herself who had criminal indictment against her and but the media put her on television they put her on CNN they put her on on um MSNBC in fact kudos to Jake Tapper at CNN for calling out his colleagues for giving the woman credibility but a lot of them did and they know they know they look at the Democratic Party and they see what's going on the Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run again. An overwhelming number of Democrats oppose Joe Biden running for office again. Yeah, Rebecca Jones, thank you. That's who I'm th- thinking of. The, the the supposed expert that the media gave all sorts of attention to. The the media they want the Democrats to do well in 2024. They fear not just Trump, but a Trump-like Republican. So the result is they got to do as much sabotage of DeSantis now and hopefully beat him in 2022. Otherwise, he becomes the Republican frontrunner in 2024. He just does. This isn't an endorsement. This is a statement of fact. Uh, there is a Republican love affair with Ron DeSantis in that he has governed as a reasonable, regular old Republican. But on the campaign trail, he comes across as Trumpy. He bridges the gap. He bridges the gap between the Trump supporters who want someone who fights and the rest of the Republican Party who just wants somebody who's competent and can govern. And he does that. That's why he's a threat. So they're coming for him. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I've mentioned this, has been doing everything she can to attack Ron DeSantis and attack Florida and Florida's policy. She's wanted mask mandates and the like. Got seen repeatedly without a mask, vacationing in Florida over Christmas vacation. Even the Democrats who hate Florida want to go to Ron DeSantis's Florida to vacation. And you go to Florida and you see a state that is firing on all cylinders. It is economically productive. Its kids have a level of school choice thanks to Jeb Bush. So it's not, its kids are not hurt by prolonged government shutdowns. DeSantis has fought progressive school boards to demand in-person learning and getting rid of mask mandates. And he has successfully been able to uh, form a conservative judiciary in Florida and has a conservative Republican legislature in Florida. And they have been able to do things that progressives said would be bad and has turned out they've all these policies have turned out very good. So they got a bellyache about it. They got to complain they got to engage in character assassination. Why? This is so important for you to understand. They are scared of Ron DeSantis. Because the Democrats look around. They don't think Joe Biden's going to run again. And they're scared of their own bench. They don't have a good one. They don't have a deep one. They don't have an experienced one. And here comes a guy who navigated COVID and did all the things that Andrew Cuomo said he was going to do, like take care of senior citizens and not let them die. And DeSantis did them without cover-up, without corruption, and did them successfully. When Andrew Cuomo, who they were putting on CNN every night, patting him on the back, was disastrous. So they've got to try to pregame the record and seed it in people's minds that he's bad, because that's the only way they're going to win in 2024 if he were the nominee. Now, I don't know that he will be. He's certainly the front runner, I think. There are a lot of other people. There are a lot of other contenders. He can make some missteps. He's got some problems behind the scenes. But also, he's competent as governor of Florida, and they can't abide by that. You've got all these people with white guilt in the press because of their treatment of Andrew Gillum. They're, they're ignoring him. And you've got a potential Republican front runner in 2024 with a major track record of success and common sense in navigating the virus. They're going to do everything they can between now and the governor's race in 2022, at the end of 2022, to do everything they can to undermine DeSantis. Because even if he wins, they got to rough him up in the run-up to 2024. This is the National Press Corps picking sides yet again. And I don't think it's going to work. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877 97 eric 877 I would like a moment to talk about a, a passing. No, not Betty White. Although that was sad. Harry Reed, Senator Harry Reid, is dead. Uh, McLaren international airport in Las Vegas got renamed for Harry Reed. The guy it was originally named for apparently was, was not a good person and bipartisan agreement. He wasn't a good person. So they've renamed it for Harry Reid. Uh, who is now dead. Uh, I think he had pancreatic cancer. Uh, I, I, I just, just listen to me here on this for a moment. I actually wanted to interview Harry Reid. Um, I w- was doing, and, and I've got friends who want me to re- resurrect it, a podcast where I interviewed politicians and people in politics about things other than politics. He actually had a very fascinating background. Born in Searchlight, um, Nevada, became a boxer, uh, he was in charge for a time of the Las Vegas Gambling Commission, or the Nevada ga- uh, Gambling Commission, and stood up to the mob. They tried to kill him, and I wanted to talk to him about that because I, I found it very fascinating. It was a very fascinating story that I don't think a lot of people uh, appreciate, and, and I at least try to be mindful these days at a time of hyper-partisanship that I should at least try to – Find a way to find common ground with people on the other side. and and sometimes it's absolutely impossible. but uh, being able to relate to people and and nuance, I, i'm I'm reminded more and more of something Tim Keller told me. Uh, he said that uh, the reason he engages with people with whom he disagrees on theology is that we're all created in the image of God. Therefore, we can all learn something from from everyone else. Um, We may not always agree. We may oftentimes agree to disagree, but we should be able to learn something from other people. So I really wanted to interview the guy, and I came very close. His chief of staff was willing. But ultimately, he was at the end of his tenure in the the Senate, and he declined the interview. Um, And then his health deteriorated pretty rapidly. But here's the other thing about Harry Reid. I don't think we would have Donald Trump but for Harry Reid. I don't think we would. In 2012, Harry Reid flat out lied about Mitt Romney and Mitt Romney's taxes and stirred up uh, animus against Mitt Romney. And Mitt Romney was a very nice, is a very nice guy, uh, didn't really fight on it, was not aggressive. And a lot of people decided that this regular attack and sabotage on Mitt Romney caused him to lose to Barack Obama. And therefore, the Republicans needed somebody who would be a fighter, who would trash talk, who would fight back, and Harry Reid had a lot to do with that. Harry Reid had a lot to do with the degrading culture of the Senate. The media loves to blame Mitch McConnell, but Harry Reid had a lot to do with it. Harry Reid got rid of the filibuster for judges. Uh, Harry Reid deserves all of the credit in the world for Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh being on the Supreme Court. Harry Reid, frankly, deserves a lot of the credit for emboldening Mitch McConnell to say, nope, we will not even consider Merrick Garland won't even give him a hearing. Uh, had Harry Reid not blown up the filibuster for judges, Republicans would have never blown up the filibuster for the Supreme Court. Now, you Democrats can say otherwise, but the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the history. The Republicans had the opportunity in the 2000s with, with George Bush's president to blow up the filibuster. George Bush encouraged them to blow up the filibuster for judges, and they refused. And many of these very same Republicans who refused to do it then were still in the Senate after Harry Reid blew up the filibuster, and they went along and and finished it off with the Supreme Court. It's why behind the scenes now, there are a lot of Democrats in the Senate who they may in public say they're willing to get rid of the filibuster, but in private do not want it to happen because they remember what happened after Harry Reid did it. Much of the political landscape we have today and political invective and rhetoric we have in politics is because of Harry Reid's tenure in the Senate. And the media would say that if it was a republican but they will never say it about a democrat because they always give fawning profiles of democrats we should remember this history he was a fascinating creature of politics and i don't think we would have donald trump and we sure as heck wouldn't have these supreme court justices but for harry reid hi there how are you it's eric erickson glad to be back with you i hope you had a a great vacation some of you still on vacation. Uh, my office is technically closed today, and uh, they're reopened tomorrow. But I just, I was ready to come back to work. I, You know, I'm very blessed. I, I get a job that I adore uh, with listeners who I love and love to hang out with you guys. And I really do want to do more in-person events this year if we can, uh, given everybody's uh, whatever hangups and like about the virus. I got a group of listeners up in Rome. I've got a uh, Georgia that I got to get up to. And I got to get to Dayton, Ohio and to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And now uh, we're picking up a station in Las Vegas. So I have an excuse to go back. But nonetheless, I digress. Uh, we got to get another stuff. One thing you do need you to know I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I don't like New Year's resolutions and don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I think if you're going to resolve to do something, just do it. But. I am more committed to being regular with the recipes because I've gotten angry emails from you guys uh, that I'm not sending enough. So I will do my best to keep you humored and send them. Philip and Charlie will have to remind me, but nonetheless, I'll get them done because I've been experimenting with a chicken taco recipe that is pretty phenomenal. So I will make sure to send these out. Now, I must move on. The New York Times. Uh, has allowed a- Asted Herndon, uh, a hagiographer of Stacey Abrams, to write a supposedly objective profile of Stacey Abrams. You can tell he's a hagiography of her because of his take. Let me read you the headline. Again, I'm not making this up. This is the actual headline in the New York Times. Left and center left both claims Stacey Abrams who's right. Here's the subtitle. Ms. Abrams, the Georgia Democrat running for governor has admirers in both wings of her party and Republicans eager to defeat her. Her carefully calibrated strategy faces a test in 2022. To left leading Democrats, Stacey Abrams, who is making her second run for Georgia governor is a superstar a nationally recognized voting rights champion, a symbol of her state's changing demographics, and a political visionary who registered and mobilized tens of thousands of new voters, the kind of grassroots organizing that progressives have long preached. I don't think anyone could call Stacey Abrams a moderate, said Amy Allison, the founder of She the People, a progressive advocacy group for women of color. Moderates would beg to differ. They see Ms. Abrams as an ally for rejecting left-wing policies that center-left Democrats have spurred, like Medicare for All, the Green New Deal to combat climate change, and defunding of law enforcement in response to police violence. I don't know that anybody in the party can say she's one of us, said Matt Bennett, a founder of Third Way, the center-left group. We can't pretend she's a moderate, but the progressives can't say she's a progressive and not a moderate. We're both kind of right. What? What? Okay, by the way, uh, Stacey Abrams does want Medicare for All. Uh, and she also does want to defund the police. She she said both things. Why, why do we say she didn't? Why does the New York Times say she doesn't support these policies? when well, she supports She also supports uh, non-citizens having the right to vote in this country. She said that as well. She's wanted to prolong shutdowns over the pandemic. And uh, they they don't want to give her the courtesy of listening to her. This is the thing that the media likes to do to Democrats. They never want to give the Democrats the courtesy of believing what they say. She is who she, she says she is. Stacey Abrams says she's a progressive. She makes no bones about it. In 2018... I interviewed Stacey. I interviewed everyone running for governor in Georgia. I actually liked the interview. She is, by the way, a very nice person, even as we disagree fundamentally on everything. But one of the things she said, and I admired her for saying it, is that she is a progressive, that she's not going to run to the center and then run to the left. She's going to run to the left and persuade people that uh, her values are good for her. Now, that was Stacey Abrams in 2018 saying that. That was Stacey Abrams who said that. In 2018, Stacey Abrams said she saw no need to do what Democrats in Georgia have done in the past, which is run to the left in a primary and then run to the center in the general, she was going to run to the left in the primary and she was going to stay on the left and convince people that her values were their values. That was her. She said it. And now the New York Times is like, well, is she on the left or is she on the center? We have no idea. It's a carefully coordinated strategy. No, no, no. She said it. She said that non-citizens should have the right to vote. She said that. She said that. She said that she supports gun confiscation. She said she supports packing the Supreme Court. She said she opposes photo ID for voters. She says she wants a federal takeover of elections. She said all of these things. She said she supports aggressive abortion rights. How can the New York Times say she has a hard-to-name ideology? This is the New York Times. And again, this, again, goes back to the whole idea of the of the white guilt in the press corps. Now, this writer of the New York Times is not white. But the editors at the New York Times, they all perceive that they got to make right the wrongs they did in 2018, by focusing on Beto O'Rourke instead of Andrew Gillum and Stacey Abrams. So you're about to see this fawning press over Stacey Abrams in the national media. They're going to pretend she's not a progressive, and they're going to try to rewrite history. What I find so notable is Cody Hall. Cody Hall is a friend of mine. He was the comms director for Brian Kemp, and then he's moved over to the campaign, if I understand it right now. But he was the person who pointed this out. That the New York Times says she has a hard to name ideology, and yet she supports gun confiscation, wants to raise taxes, uh, Puerto Rico and DC statehood, supports illegal aliens voting, supports packing the Supreme Court, supports federal takeovers of election, opposes voter ID, and on and on. She's a poster child to the far left. He pointed that out. And the aide to a Democratic senator in Washington replied and said, That's racist. That's racist. Now, I read you Cody Hall's tweet, hard to name ideology, and then it has the little emoji for the check mark. Supports gun confiscation, wants to raise taxes, PR in D.C. statehood, illegals voting, supports packing SCOTUS, wants Fed takeover elections, opposed voter ID, I could go on, Stacey Abrams, poster child trial to the far left. That, that's his entire tweet. And he's attacked as being a racist for pointing out her record. Pointing out her record is racist. And pointing out her record apparently means a hard-to-name ideology. Why? Why are they actually doing this? It is partly guilt over 2018, but it also, like with DeSantis and attacks on DeSantis, this is about 2024. It's about 2024. They really need a bench. They don't have a bench. Joe Biden... Is old. Joe Biden is old, 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 old. Joe Biden is old. Joe Biden's not all there. Let's just be real honest about this. Joe Biden has to be led around. Now he's in charge. Don't get me wrong. It's it, you know Ron Klain, the chief of staff, is it calling the shots? Joe Biden is calling the shots. It's just Joe Biden only has about three hours of the day when he's awake and coherent to call those shots. Ron Klain is running this, and Joe Biden is running the White House like he's still in the Senate. In the Senate, you talk to senators. Longtime senators will tell you that old-school senators like Joe Biden was allow the chief of staff to reign supreme, and the chief of staff arranges all the deck chairs on the Titanic and brings to the captain of the ship the decisions on how fast they want to sink. But the decision has already been made to sink by the chief of staff. It's just what are here are your options. Do we try to slow it down and evacuate the crew and and the people, or do we just go for it and hit the bottom of the Atlantic? So at the end of the day, Joe Biden makes the decision, but Ron Klain structures the decisions. That's the way the Senate office worked. That's the way the White House works. And it's not working well for the Democrats. In fact, it's working very badly for the Democrats right now. Have you seen Joe Biden's polling? Uh, As he's been out of the limelight over the holiday season, it's rebounded a little bit, but it's still not good. And the Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run in 2024. And they don't like Kamala Harris. My gosh, have y'all seen the Kamala Harris interviews? She cannot help herself. This woman cannot help herself. She is bad at this. She is bad at, at running for office. She is bad at... Uh, Pretty much everything she's bad about. I mean, her interviews have just been ridiculous and embarrassing. She gave an interview to, what, Face the Nation. I, I forget the woman's name who's in charge of Face the Nation now on CBS. And she had no answer on inflation. She was just flat out bad in the interview. Every time Kamala Harris gets on the stage, she screws up. Well, their fallback is Pete Buttigieg. Notice how he's fallen out of the limelight again. Nobody's talking about Buttigieg again. He went on paternity leave and was actually doing a roadshow tour for some fawning documentary about him. Nobody wants to talk about that, but he was. And nobody even knew he was gone. That's their backup plan. Now they're they're, they're looking at uh, what's his name in North Carolina, the Democratic governor of North Carolina. One is a Democrat in a state that Donald Trump won. And so now they're thinking, maybe this guy, maybe we can get him. But he clearly wants to run, but he can't say anything because he's too moderate for the progressives. So who do they have? They don't have a bench, which is why they have to frame Stacey Abrams as someone who can bridge the gap between centrists. The center left and the left, maybe Stacey Abrams. Dare I say, be what their white knight? Am I allowed to say that? Will I get attacked? I mean, apparently, I mean, if you you criticize at all, you're accused of being a racist. But they need someone to save the Democratic Party, and a lot of them have decided Stacey Abrams She's been open and notorious about wanting to run for president. But to run for president, you've actually got to win something other than a state house seat in Georgia. That's all she's ever won, by the way. I mean, they talk about Stacey Abrams as if she's already won the governor's mansion. She talks about it as if she won the governor's mansion. She didn't. People forget she didn't even make it into a runoff. It's not that she came close to beating Brian Kemp. It's that she came close to a runoff and she never made it to the runoff. They've got to get her in the governor's mansion. Now, unfortunately, you got some Republicans out there trying to help her. Donald Trump has already said he'd prefer Stacey Abrams to Brian Kemp. So he's running this, this David Perdue race down in Georgia. Trying to divide the GOP. You got Republicans at each other's throat. Stacey Abrams has an easy fundraising ride because of it. And they could get her into the governor's mansion in Georgia. These Republicans who are dividing themselves up. The Republican circular firing squad in Georgia. Thanks to Donald Trump and David Perdue. Hopefully they'll see the error of their ways. Can't get Stacey Abrams elected. We see the pregame here. This is all pregame. They want to destroy Ron DeSantis in the run-up to 2022 to try to hurt him on the road to 2024. They want to elevate Stacey Abrams. They want to make her into something she's never claimed to be. Literally, y'all, I interviewed Stacey Abrams. She said in, in more than one news outlet and in conversations with me, that she was not someone who was going to run left in the primary and run to the center in the general. She was going to stay on the left and convince people those policies were good for them. And here comes the New York Times saying, is she left or is she center left? We have no idea. She's just awesome. It's all because Kamala Harris sucks. And Pete Buttigieg is shallow and vapid. And Joe Biden is too old to run again. They need somebody and their hope a woman who could never exceed a state house seat in Georgia. That's how bad the Democratic bench is right now. My goodness gracious. Now, I had to take a sip of water. Got this cough. Before I go, I got to tell you, my friends at Patriot Mobile, they still want to do business with you. They're still there. They're still out there. I love these people. I love this company. These are such nice people. They are Christians and conservatives. And they are explicit about it in the way they run their business, and they want your business. And they use all the same cell towers everybody else uses. So you don't have to worry if you go to them, will I have coverage? You can go see their coverage. They got great coverage maps on their site. And they will give you free activation with my name. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. You never have to worry about calling Mumbai when you call Patriot Mobile. You got somebody here in the United States willing to help you, willing to give you good discounts. Your teacher, your NRA member, your large family, your veteran, your first responder, you get discounts with Patriot Mobile. You can save money with Patriot Mobile. What you do is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Or you can call them 972-PATRIOT. You tell them Eric sent you. You get free activation. You're doing business with a company that takes a portion of its profits and uses it to fund the conservative movement, the pro-life cause, the Second Amendment cause, the the conservative movement. So not only are you aligning with a company that shares your values, but by doing business with them, you're helping advance the conservative movement as well. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Don't don't doubt me on this, but if you do, go check out their coverage maps at PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, and you'll see... You don't have to worry about your coverage and you get a great company to work with. This is our other program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They are in Noonan, Georgia, but they can help you nationwide. If your business wants to grow, I'm talking to be a big business with six-figure loans, reach out to First Liberty. They can help your business. They make their own lending decisions. Go to firstlibertyga.com. I get their contact info. Just spend 10 minutes with them. Tell them I sent you so I get the credit. Uh, but uh, spend ten minutes with them, see if you're a good fit for their program. They really want to help, and they've got experience going back to the 1990s doing this. FirstLibertyGA.com. Y'all, Apple uh, has just made history. Uh, I'm in the cult. Philip just texted me during the break. Apple market cap has just broken three trillion dollars. It's the first company to ever become that big. It was the first company to hit a trillion dollars, and it's the first company to hit three trillion dollars. I think Microsoft got to two trillion right before they did, uh, which is phenomenal. Because you know, I remember. Back in the day, when Apple was like ten dollars a share, and then Microsoft was a massive, massive company, and then it just bottomed out, and its stock became uh, just just garbage during the Balmer days, and now they've all rebounded. Uh, Microsoft has really reinvented itself, but so too has Apple. Three trillion dollars that that's historic. My gosh, there is a lot of money in the markets right now. Uh, The markets are all turning up today as well. Um, Real quick, I want to I want to talk about. Let's go, Brandon. During Christmas, uh, the president and first lady were taking phone calls for NORAD's Santa tracker, and they talked to some guy at the end of the call. The guy wraps up by saying, let's go, Brandon. And the president says, yeah, yeah, let's go, Brandon. And you could tell from the first lady's look at her face, she knew what had happened. President was clueless. I thought it was hilarious. I, I thought it was hilarious. I also thought it was bad manners. And my gosh, uh, I have gotten attacked by people on the left for saying I thought it was hilarious, and people on the right for saying it was bad manners. But y'all, he's still the president of the United States, and he just was wanting to wish the guy a Merry Christmas and and uh, to do the whole Let's Go Brandon thing. Um, the What I think was even worse, though, was the outrage for the media. NBC News, NBC, by the way, was an NBC reporter who came up with the phrase, Let's Go Brandon misheard something or claimed to mishear something in a NASCAR race, uh, told the winner, Brandon, that they were the crowd was chanting, let's go, Brandon, but they were actually chanting F. Joe Biden. And so let's go, Brandon, has become uh, a, a polite way of saying the F. Joe Biden stuff. And it was NBC. Now NBC is calling it a right-wing slur of the president. I remember when they didn't bat an eyelash over people using the F. Trump phrase. And it wasn't F. It was the word. Y'all know the word. I thought it was bad. I, mean, I still think civility matters. I realize no one else does anymore. I'm old-fashioned, I guess. But when the president of the United States, whether it's Barack Obama or Donald Trump or Joe Biden, calls to wish you a Merry Christmas, just take the Merry Christmas. You get to talk to the president. Not everybody gets to talk to the president of the United States. And then they. But I, I think what was worse was the media reaction to all of it. Uh, they blew it all out of proportion. They attacked the guy. They tried to have the guy canceled. Uh, the Daily Beast went after the guy, exposed where he worked and all of that. It was terrible treatment of that guy. I don't think he should have done it but he shouldn't be ruined for having done it. It was still a very funny thing.